Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. Well, it's so nice spending time with you guys. Um, my name is Lorraine, and I'm really excited to spend this next few minutes with you as we are engaging on a halfway mark. We're just basically crossing the halfway mark of our brand new series on Ephesians. Now, before I dive in, just a quick word to all of the mothers out there. Happy Mother's Day. We love you guys a lot and we appreciate you so much. So just for all the guys that might be watching, if you're a student and you've not yet sent your mom an SMS to let her know how much you appreciate her, now is the time to do that. Great. Let's dive into today. Today, as I've said, we're basically just crossing the halfway mark. We're in Ephesians chapter 2, the second half. And if I can be honest, while I was spending time with this portion of Scripture, it can literally be a term-long sermon. That's how long and how much wealth and beauty there is in what Paul is busy writing to us. But I'd like to start us off with this little story. So um, I want to share with you guys an, uh, an event that took place with myself and one of my friends when we went to Gold Reef City and we took a ride on one of my favorite rides actually, the Tower of Terror. I don't know if you guys have ever been on that ride, but it's a ride where you slowly but surely go up to this big top tower. You're sitting in something that looks kind of like a gold wagon thing that they put all the gold in and you're sitting as one of the passengers in this. And then it has this slow ascent and it gets to the edge of the tower, almost like to the edge of the cliff. And then it slowly goes over the edge until that boom, next moment and it releases and you have a 40 meter free drop that you're looking right in front of you it feels like you're not gonna make it it's really cool and exhilarating and scary and amazing and everything but on this one specific ride that I took with my buddy there was a guy sitting in front of us and um, if I can maybe just put it like that the moment we bend over this slow edge movement and the anticipation grows and grows and grows and the guy gets really worked up and he's uncertain and the moment the release trigger hit it's as if there was a release in his stomach and everything he enjoyed that day came over my friend's face yes you heard me right <laughs> he was filled by the vomit of the guy sitting in front of us. Now, why am I telling that story? Probably, probably because you're going to be grossed out and you're like, you, but there is more to this because today we are seeing Paul calling us to walk in purity. Seeing that you are a child of God that has been made blameless and holy in Jesus Christ. Now there is something of an alignment that needs to take place between who you are and how you live. And we are to walk pure. Now, to be honest, my friend at that stage, he really wasn't that pure right next to me. In fact, nobody wanted to be next to him. He was smelling and everything. I was like, go wash yourself, man. And um, the reality is, as God is calling you and me, his children, to walk in and as you see, as we're getting to this halfway mark, Paul makes a shift in what he's communicating. In, in chapters 1 to 3, he's always speaking about who we are. And then in chapters 4 to 6, 
he's making a call. He says, walk worthy of this calling that you have received, this new identity that you now have in Christ Jesus. Walk and live like a child of God. Now, in this portion, we're going to see three things happening. And Paul's basically going to be doing this all over and over again, where he speaks about where we were, where we are now, and then finally how we have the power to live like this new creation. How are we empowered to live this new kind of life, to actually walk in purity? So we're going to look at these three things tonight. Firstly, Paul tells us about why we couldn't walk in purity in the past. Secondly, he tells us how to walk in purity right now, today, in this moment. And then thirdly, he lets us in on what gives us the power. What's the one thing that empowers us to walk this pure life that we have with God? So let's dive into the first one. Why we couldn't walk in purity in the past? Why was it difficult? Why is it troublesome and then if any of you guys try to live a pure and a holy life that's basically just living like Jesus lived you'll discover very quickly if you try and do it by yourself it's really difficult and even if you're not a Christian before before that time and that's actually what Paul is touching on here he's telling us and letting us into what it why it was so difficult to follow Jesus and to walk in purity before we met Christ. And he starts us off in verse 17, and there he gives us the answer, the clue to why it is impossible, why it's so difficult. It reads as follows. It says, Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. Now, three things that I quickly want to mention here before we dive into the futility of their thoughts. Because this is where, where the reasoning comes behind why we're struggling to walk in purity. However, I just quickly want to make a note on walking. You'll see throughout the Bible and Scripture that the idea of life, how we live our lives, are connected to this metaphor of walking. When you live out your life, you walk it out. And I find it really interesting that the Bible does not say running meaning we have to chase things down because running, if you would like to live the way you run, you'll quickly discover that it's not sustainable because you can only run for short spaces. However, to walk is far more sustainable. Secondly, it also doesn't say make your life happen like a microwave, instant gratification in a world that we are so used to. That's not the picture the Bible describes when it comes to our daily walk, to our life. Life is like a tree. It will grow. It's slow, but it's sustainable. It's not instant. And in the same way, like walking would be putting one foot in front of the other, this mundane, repetitive, habitual activity, ultimately, if you continue doing it, it takes you places. And in the same way, Paul says, walk out. Live your life with these small little steps growing and maturing in who you were created to be. So, he tells us why we cannot walk in purity in verse 17. And he says that we should no longer live like the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. Now, I find it interesting that Paul is not saying in the futility of their actions 
or their behavior or their activities. No, he's focusing on a truth that I think we sometimes very easily forget. And it's this, that all living starts in the same place. That's Gentile living too. It starts in our thoughts. In fact, the Proverbs writer puts it like this. Proverbs 23 verse 7, he says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And Paul says, the way the Gentiles think are futile. It's useless. It's pointless. It's ineffective. It's basically not working. It has no point. So why is this thinking of the Gentiles so pointless? Well, in verse 18, he gives us the answer. That's why the Bible is so cool. There's always a next verse. Verse 18, it says, They are darkened in their understanding. That's the reason why their thinking is pointless and futile. Now, Paul is making use of an amazing metaphor here that I think Jesus taps into as well when he speaks and claims to be the light of the world. It's the metaphor of light and darkness. And here's the truth, the key to this. You see, even though I have amazing eyes and my eyes are working 100%, 20-20 vision, everything is A and okay, the reality is, is, should I be in a totally dark room, my eyes means nothing because I cannot see a thing. And what Paul is saying, even though Humanity has the ability to think. We, we can think. We have, we have thoughts. All of our thoughts are in the dark. It's dark. Even though you can think, you actually can't think. And that's what Paul is busy pointing out. And it's only when you meet Jesus. And that's why Jesus makes this claim. I am the light of the world. He's saying that without me, you will never understand and you will never know and you will never experience God's will, God's plan, God's love, God's intention for your life and for this world and his creation. I am the only one that can shed light on those thoughts. And because God is the creator of the universe, those thoughts have radical implications for you and for me in this world. And Paul is making that statement. He's saying, in the old way, you could never have thought, you could have never comprehended what God wanted to do. In fact, I want to put it as simple as I can. Paul says our way, our capacity to know the truth for ourselves, by ourselves, with our own thinking, would be like a blind man trying to understand color. That's how much capacity we have. Our thoughts are futile. What's the effect of this kind of thinking and this kind of living? Well, Paul puts it like this. He says, if we live like the Gentiles do, if we think like the Gentiles do without the light of God shining on us and opening up and revealing to us the truth, we are numbed to the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it uses the word, we are callous. That's a piece of dead skin that's on your hand and that kind of just loses all sense. You, you struggle to feel and experience a sense of touch. And if you live like this, if you think like the Gentiles do, you kind of get numb and callous to the Holy Spirit's working in your life. So that's the reason why we can't work in or walk in purity. Is because we 
are darkened in our thoughts. But there's good news. Jesus came and he's been speaking about this all the way through from chapters 1 to chapters 3. And we are made new again. We are now a new creation in Jesus Christ. We are his children. And then Paul goes on and he says, okay, great guys. Now that you are children of God, now that you've discovered that he is the light of the world. You know what? Jesus says he's the light of the world. And then he walks away. Literally a few, a few moments later in John's gospel, Jesus goes and heals a blind man. I find that so profound. He's saying, you can't see without me. I'm the only one that can do a miracle. You can receive the miracle of sight so that you can finally see. And now that you can see, Paul says, here is how you ought to walk in purity. Here's how you need to live. It's verses 20 to 24. And Paul talks about taking off the old man with its corrupted, deceitful desires and then putting on the new man according to God's likeness. That was created according to his likeness in righteousness, in purity of truth and holiness. Now, what Paul is getting to in this moment is something that I'd like to call wearing words. I don't know if you know this, but we all wear words every single day. We put on certain words and we take off certain words. Humanity is in this place where we put on words. And that's kind of what Paul is saying. He's saying taking off the old words. In fact, I want to dive into an example with this because I don't know if you realize this, but behind every thought there is a voice that's speaking words that's planting words in your mind right now in fact I want to ask you to quickly close your eyes with me just close them and then listen to my voice don't think do not see a red VW Beetle you know that car that Hitler designed the red VW Beetle. Don't see a red VW Beetle in your mind's eye with a little pink daisy on the aerial and white leather seats and these beautiful white rim tires. Don't see that now as I'm describing it to you. Now, if you've listened to my words carefully, you would probably be smiling or grinning now because you realize it's impossible. Not to be thinking that. The thoughts are planted in our minds. And in the same way, Paul is saying, there are thoughts planted by listening to specific voices and certain words in our life. And when it comes from our old man, our old way of thinking, whether it's a voice from the past or a friend speaking or even the enemy speaking to us, those are the kinds of words we need to reject. They are like old clothes that you never want to put on. They don't fit you. You're a new creation. In fact, he calls those thoughts being deceptive and leading to deceiving desires. Now, I find this very interesting because in the beginning, Eve was deceived by the enemy. She was deceived by a snake in the garden. And do you know how he deceived her? He just questioned God's word. He said, did God really say that you should not eat from any of the fruit in this garden? He started questioning her. 
It's questioning God's word over a life. And that's the same thing that happens to you and me. God said something over our lives and the enemy comes and he questions that. He's asking, did God, is God, are you truly one of his children? Aren't you just a sinner? Aren't you the sum result of what you've done? That, that's the thought. And these deceptive thoughts leads to a place where we give into and we cave into to what God said is good. We turn that into bad. Or even the other way around. And what God says is bad, we turn that into good. However, Paul says, no, no, no. Don't wear those words. Put on the new self. Wear the new words. Wear the words that I'm revealing, the voice that's speaking to you. Jesus is that word. Of God. Hebrews 1 verse 1 says, you know, God spoke to us in the former days through the prophets, but now, right now, He's speaking to us through His Son. If you want to know God's true opinion, thoughts, ideas, intention, will, the only way for you and me to know it is to look at His Son. He's the one that reveals it. He is the truth. In fact, Paul calls us to embrace, put it on. We are new creations in Christ. And he says, these are the words. You are righteous. You are holy. Righteous means we're in right standing with God. No longer is there any distance between you and God. You are now with Him. You have open access to relationship with Him. And, and you are holy. You are set apart for His purposes. In Jesus Christ, live like this set apart child of God. Are you going to believe the words of your past, the voices from the past, basically the lies of the enemy that comes from the old man, or are you going to believe the truth? Because Paul calls the children of God, you and me, we follow Jesus to replace lies with truth and then he goes into a few examples of this the first one that he uses I'm just quickly going to mention two the first one is the example of speaking the truth don't lie to your neighbor don't be false in front of them and instead speak the truth why is he why is he saying this where's the lie in us trying to pretend that we're something we're not why would we lie to someone about who we are and what we've actually done well, we try and portray someone that we not really are not in reality. Why would we do that? Well, the only reason why I believe we would do that is because we don't believe who we are is good enough. Do you know how crazy that thought is? Can I just ask you, who are you? If you answer that question, the answer is clear. I am a child of God. How is it? possible that the children of God that he has made himself is not good so don't lie be who God made you growing up maturing secondly he tells us that we need to be angry but we should not sin in our anger don't give the devil a foothold when you're angry what, what's Paul on about here what's the lie behind this well anger is actually love in action. When you're angry at something or someone, it's because that something or someone is busy threatening the thing that you love. 
You see, when something that you love is threatened, the correct response would be anger. It's to protect it, saying, you don't come near. I love this. So in fact, whenever you're angry, the best question to ask is, what am I trying to protect? What am I truly loving? And Paul says, when you're angry, don't sin. It's so easy to really dive into a love that's misplaced, that's disordered. To ask yourself the question, when I'm angry, is there something that I'm now loving more than Jesus himself? Do I have some or other disordered life, disordered love in my life? Is there a lie that I believe that if I have this thing, then if I give all I have, if I love it with everything, then I will be, and you can fill in the blank. Now you are loved by God. And He drives us to live a life filled with love. Now, all the examples that Paul is mentioning here, and you can go and read through the rest in this portion of Scripture, when you start reading them, you'll discover, oh my word, Lorraine, how am I going to do this? You might probably stop this sermon right now and you would walk away and you'd think, oh my word, I'm going to really try hard now to be a good Christian. I'm going to try my best to be that new man. I'm going to put that on. I'm going to do everything I can. However, the difference between behavior modification and Christianity is what comes next. It's the power that we receive to walk like this. It's the thing that enables you and me to put on that new man. Paul touches on it in verse 30. He says the following. He says, And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. What's Paul busy getting into? Well, he's telling us two things about the Holy Spirit. Firstly, he's telling us that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. You know what that means? That means the day that you got to meet Jesus for yourself. I'm not talking just to hear about him. You know, there was that moment in your life, if you are a Christ follower, that you've heard so much about Jesus, but that one specific moment, Jesus became real to you. It's not just head knowledge. He revealed himself to you. And on that day, you knew that this is not just a religious talk or a nice book about a fictional person or even a historical person that lived on this planet. But he is alive. He has conquered death. And he has risen. I've met him myself. And in that moment, you confessed that Jesus is not just Lord. When you've met him, you didn't just confess he was Lord over the earth, but he now is the Lord of your life, and in this case, my life, then you've also believed that God raised him from the dead because we can't have relationships with dead people. And Jesus is alive. And that was the moment you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. That was the moment God came in and he moved into your life. Ellen always uses this example, and I love it, about a guy that says, you know, the day you got saved, God didn't just kind of move in. He brought all the luggage. He came with everything into your life. So now you have someone staying with you 24-7. There is this person, the Holy Spirit, that's with us the whole time. Guys, that's the power. It's this person. 
And then Paul tells us that we are not to grieve, we are not to sadden the Holy Spirit by the way we live, by rejecting his instruction. You know, it, the reality is, is the relationship we get to have with the Holy Spirit, we didn't earn it, we got it. It's God's grace that you can have relationship with God's Holy Spirit, that you can, as Galatians would say, walk by the Spirit every single day. It's not something that you've earned and you cannot lose it. However, you can neglect it. You can abuse this relationship. Yes. By grieving the Holy Spirit. Now, why is Paul putting all of this emphasis on this relationship? Well, it's because this is exactly where we get the power to live this new way. You know, he mentioned that the Gentiles in the beginning, their thoughts were darkened. They were like a blind man trying to understand color because they cannot see the truth. There's no light in the room. There's no capacity for them to really comprehend the truth for themselves. Well, the only one that can reveal the truth is the Spirit himself. Jesus says this. He says, I will send you the Holy Spirit and he will remind you of everything that I taught you. Paul speaks of this in another place. And he says, the Holy Spirit unveils our hearts. It opens it up. Our hard hearts, he opens it up so that we can be receptive to the truth. So, here's what I want you to do. Here's my charge for you today. And I believe what Paul is telling us. It's time to take off the old self. To reject the lies that you've believed for so long. Because no one puts a new jacket over their old jacket. It just doesn't work. You first take off the old, and then you embrace the new. In fact, this sounds exactly like Jesus, saying you cannot put new wine in old wineskins. And it's so powerful what Jesus is saying here. You see, because in the olden days, when you put wine in a leather, brand new wineskin, that wine would start fermenting. It would start maturing. It would start getting all of the beauty and the value out of it. And as it's doing it, that little wineskin has the capacity to expand and hold this beauty, this value, as it's maturing to its full potential, this new wine. It can hold it. But should you put new wine in an old wineskin that does not have the capacity to expand as this new wine starts fermenting and it starts really getting good, the moment that happens, it breaks. And your old way of life, your behavior modification models will never hold. It's only when you live and you walk by the Holy Spirit, that you will experience this. Let's pray. Father, as we listen to this charge, this call, this invitation that we have, seeing that we are children of God, that we would live holy as children of God. Father, I come and pray right now, wherever someone might be watching this, if they want to say, Father, take me on this journey. I want to know the truth. I want to see. I want to follow your prompting. The prompting of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, I come and pray. Make it so clear to people. And maybe if 
this is your first time hearing this. Maybe you've never received God, but now, in this moment, as you're watching this, you've experienced the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, convincing you, convicting you that Jesus is the Lord. Why not confess that He is the Lord of your life and believe that God raised Him from the dead for you? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.